Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe we have been having in-depth conversations about movies since 2011. You are telling me. Producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. Season 5 had some great adaptations, like our Meryl Streep Oscar-nominated performances series. We covered adaptations like Kramer vs. Kramer, Sophie's Choice, and The French Lieutenant's Woman. It's a real Sophie's Choice between those books. <laughs> you see what, I, see what I did there? Uh, yeah. Uh, and I don't think it's quite at the level of a real Sophie's Choice. We also did Snowpiercer for our Bong Joon-ho series, adapted from the French graphic novel Le Transpersonnage. Man, I love that movie. We had our two-part 1939 series that included adaptations like Gone with the Wind, Ninochka, The Women, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. A number of those 1939 movies, like Goodbye, Mr. Chips, also tied into our recent 1940 Academy Award Best Picture nominee series. Our naughty children horror series had creepy adaptations like The Bad Seed, Village of the Damned, The Innocents, and Children of the Corn. For our Hayao Miyazaki series, we talked about his take on Lupin III with the Castle of Cagliostro, plus his own The Wind Rises. Some great listener choice picks too, Viridiana and The Great Escape. And for our David Mamet Wrights series, The Verdict, The Untouchables, and Glengarry Glen Ross. Plus, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang from our Shane Black series adapted from Brett Halliday's novel, Bodies Are Where You Find Them. Dive into the sources for all of these at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book you buy helps support the show. Check out thenextreel.com slash originals today and find your next read. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends... Our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, 
So you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I noticed you didn't even comment on my glasses. Oh, I noticed you were wearing them. I was going to say something, but I'm like, does he al- is he always wearing glasses? And I couldn't remember, so I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> We've known each other a long time, Andy. That's really, really hateful. No, but it's one of those things where it's mm-hmm. like, it could be one of those things where you wear glasses in the evenings, and you just happen to be wearing them right now. It is now one of those things, as of I'm getting used to it. But I prefer, I notice, uh, to see. And so I find myself wearing them more often. <laughs> That's good. You know? No, I went to the uh, I went to the the eye doctor for the first time in about twenty two years. Wow! I really needed to. Apparently, I'm a model of ocular health when it comes to the organs themselves. That's what he said. My organs are my nerve, good shape, but my crystal crystalline lens is that a thing? I don't know. I'm well, stuck on the doctor talking about how great your organs are. Model. Of optical health in terms of my organs. I'll just say that again and again. And uh, But my crystalline lens has started to lose flexibility, and that causes me to need to wear these uh, just a little bit. And so I'm getting used to it. It's hard to wear with uh, headphones. I'm not crazy about that. Eh, you get used to it. <sighs> I feel it better. Um so, uh, what other news do we have? You know, because of the uh, the break in the time space continuum, space time continuum. Well, uh, I think the bi- the big news, Pete, is that the Oscars happened. Well, that's what I was going to say. This is the first time we've had a chance to talk since we're even though people are going to be hearing another show before this show. Yes, you know they what I'm will. Saying? So that we're a little bit. It'll sound like we're really late, but we're really not. The Oscars, as we record this, were just last night, and you yes. were a hundred percent. You big show off. I was hundred percent. You know what? You know the trick. I figured out the trick to solving the Oscars. Tell me, God, I would love to hear it. I was not. I was close this year, but I was not hundred percent. You, you, you start at the Oscars with an empty ballot, and as you go along, you fill in the answers as they announce them. Are you serious? You <laughs> <laughs> dope. I I was really surprised that any of you believed that I could really get 100%. I've never really? I've never known anybody who got 100%. I have not either. That's why I was so excited to talk to you tonight. <laughs> you big dumb stinker. If I got 100%, I would have been a lot more excited than I was. And you were yeah, you were so cavalier on Slack as we are talking behind the scenes while we are slacking and Oscaring, Oscar slacking at the same time and you are so cavalier. Yep, got another one. Yeah, there's another one down. Hundred percent. Good night, fellas. I I went to bed mad, uh, <laughs> jealous, mad. That's all awesome. the emotions. I had them. I did all right. I did all right. I did. I got all the. Uh, I got all the obvious ones. And then the problem was that I still I filled out my ballot based on what the world would look like if I ran it. Well, that's always the problem. You can't that go is to Oscars that way. Absolutely the problem. I was really... Any, any big surprises for you? 
um, in hindsight? I mean, I was I I didn't know which direction they were going to end up going with Best Picture. Um, I knew it would fall to either Spotlight or The Revenant or The Big Short had been getting a lot of buzz. Um, but it, it seemed like Spotlight and The Revenant were the two that were kind of the ones that people had been talking about the longest as I, the winner. I, I, so. Yeah, I don't think The Big Short was ever really seriously in contention for Big Well, Picture. the Producers Guild picked it as their best pick. Yeah, and, but you and know. because of that, it's like, well, well. Uh, I was I was I was surprised mostly because I was disappointed. I know um, you were. I still was, haven't seen it. I think so this boring. is the first year, and I I don't even know how long. Probably since sometime early high school that I've actually seen the Oscars without having seen the film that won Best Picture. Wow, that's crazy. I know it's nuts. I mean, there have been a few years here and there where I've where I've missed a film, but it's never been the film that won. So it was kind of a weird experience for me watching and going, gosh, I just don't know anything about the film other than Pete hates it. Wow. <laughs> well, and, and it's like, it's just, and this is what I was saying. I, I, I know I need to see it again. Clearly I need to see it again. And I just so badly don't want to. It's yeah. just so boring. Um, fun fact though, and this is uh, courtesy of uh, Once and Future King, Steve Sarmento, uh, the last American to win Best Director was Catherine Bigelow in 2009 for The Hurt Locker. Um only three directors have won in consecutive years, as did, obviously, this year, Alejandro Inarito uh, with uh, Birdman last year and um, The Revenant this year, uh, or, or uh, for Best Director. Uh, Joseph L. Mankiewicz, uh, A Letter to Three Wives, 1949, and All About Eve, 1950, and uh, John Ford, Grapes of Wrath, 1940, and How Green Was My Valley, 1941. That is interesting to me. It's been a long time since we've had a back-to-back. Uh, yes, it has. And that was uh, that was pretty exciting. And I really am happy that he won. I thought he was fantastic. I would love to have seen George Miller win, but I kind of had it. Uh, I, you know, I thought, well, maybe if they're really feeling like giving it to George, then he'll win. But I kind of felt that uh, it was probably going to be in Yara too. Yeah, I did too. I did too. I'm glad Leo won. Yeah. Yeah. And I was really glad to see Bree win. That was the thing. I think the most exciting one for me. I was so glad, and watching her and um, uh, Tremblay hug, but as she was on her way up, I just—it was just delightful. I that was really stellar performance. And, yeah, uh, well deserved. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think the um, ex Machino might have been the biggest surprise for me for uh, best visual effects. Really. Well, and I haven't seen it, so I can't speak. But it's just the, those other films are all so big, and showy that it mm-hmm. seemed like it was likely going to go to one of them um yeah. i mean that if if star wars was going to win something it that seemed like that it. might be where it was going to win or a sound category um but um yeah it was do you, uh, do you think speaking okay first of all speaking of of um visual effects itself i think that was one of my uh i, I think pleasant surprises uh, was seeing that ex machina got um, got that one because it was it, it was sort of sleeper effects. I mean, it was so powerfully story driven that film that you you almost don't even notice the number of effect shots that are happening all the time in that sure. movie. And it's just lovely the way they did it. And and so I I think it is it was it's a big favorite for me this year. Um, uh, but to your other point about Star Wars, do you think there was any any sense? That because Star Wars won all the money, that they didn't necessarily need an award. You know, I don't know if people vote that way. I, I, I don't know. I mean, 
I think I, I wouldn't say people vote that way either, but this is a little bit of an anomalous year yeah, with this particular but, film, this kind of money. Ooh, sure, sure, but uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I I don't think that people go, oh well, it made a lot of money. It doesn't need any awards. I mean, the people who work those particular departments, I think, still put a lot of a lot of effort into it. And I mean, the sound design in Star Wars was pretty spectacular, stunning, stunning. Yeah. Certainly award worthy. Oh yeah, absolutely. But you know, I was I didn't find myself disappointed at all uh, with any of the wins that Mad Max got. I didn't either. I was uh, thrilled that it won as many as it did, and uh, I mean, secretly, I was hoping that it would just sweep and win everything. Me too. But Me too. <laughs> you know, yeah. Well, so it was an it was an okay night. What did you think of uh, Chris Rock? He was great. I think that uh, he should keep coming back. And if he doesn't, then I think they should get Louis C.K. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I was surprised. Um, I found myself just only mildly bitter at just how hard the Oscar audience was laughing at some of his things. For those, <laughs> for those people who, you know, whose lives really are changed by these awards, right? Mm-hmm. He goes on and on and on, uh, and it, it ends up being just a little bit too long, uh, giving this the Oscar crowd a chance to laugh at what is ultimately portrayed as pretty wild dis- misfortune of the, the poor schleps who are making these films. Yeah, but, you know, that happens every year. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it just you know. Let's uh, it, we're we're already we the uh, the academy already has some issues around <laughs> diversity and race, and we'll figure that. I know that stuff over time. The the annals of history will will smooth out the wrinkles in that particular sheet. But let's let's not pile on, shall we? Not quite yet, Louis. <laughs> it was funny. I I found myself laughing as well as somebody whose life would be changed if I uh, also won an award. That's all I'm saying. No, I agree. I I just thought it was really funny. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty good. I I, I agree with you. I thought uh, Chris Rock did a great job, and I think in terms of being uh, a bit of an activist host, I think he came off uh, with flying colors. It doesn't seem like he got much uh, uh, backlash about any of his choices, and uh, everybody seemed to take it uh, in knowing stride. Yeah, I, and I think that you kind of. Uh kind of have to with, uh, you know, the attitude that uh, has surrounded this particular ceremony. I think, um, you know, you just, I mean, I think they did a good job overall of really making fun of everything about it um, while still having the award ceremony. And, you know, I I don't know. I was fine with it. Yep. All right. Uh, what other uh, What other follow-up do we have? Are we done with the Oscars? Can we move on? Yes, please. Uh, we have some iTunes reviews. Yes, we do. We love iTunes reviews. You know, especially we, positive ones. Yeah, the positive ones we like so much more. Yeah, uh, we have a couple that we haven't read, and we just want to thank uh, the, you for heading over to iTunes and leaving us these five star reviews. They really do help other people discover the show, and we appreciate you taking the time to do that. Uh, first one is from uh, Shy Town Mindy. Do you want to do that one? 
Yeah, it says, The Next Reel is such a great podcast for film buffs. The hosts break down a movie each week, providing thoughtful analysis, production facts, and trivia. It is less a review show than it is a film companion piece. In other words, you should watch the movie before listening because spoilers abound. The podcast covers films old and new, providing a reason to watch films I've never seen and to revisit ones I haven't seen in years. Whether I like the film or not, I always learn something from the discussions on The Next Reel. Highly recommend. I didn't thank even, you. Uh, yeah, thank you. I didn't even know we were a film companion piece. <laughs> <laughs> I love I feel it. Like now we are. And now we are. Uh, Dent de Leon says, "Excellent show. Well worth your time." Dent says the two hosts give great analysis of movies, story construction, production facts, and the story behind the story. Great chemistry between these guys. I think he's talking about you and me. I think so. I'll Very, take it. I will take it as well. Very, you know what I'm going to say? Was this review helpful? Yes, it was. I'm clicking it right now. <laughs> thank you. And Mindy, thank you. Uh, Tim Danger could be a three-star review. He gets, no, this was not helpful. No, thanks. There. No, that was not helpful because we stammer too much. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's talking about me. Pretty sure. That's all you. That's, That's on all me. you. Uh, very nice <laughs> reviews. Thank you so much, everybody, for doing that. Um, we also have uh, we have some email follow-up. What did, we uh, do. What did Brendan have to say? Yeah, Brendan, after listening to our episode about The Edge, actually checked out Barry Levinson's movie, What Just Happened. You may remember we talked about that film. It was based on Art Linson's memoirs. He was a producer on that. And uh, the story about the uh, the beard that Alec Baldwin didn't want to shave for the film. And uh, Bruce Willis kind of played the Alec Baldwin character. He said the movie was so-so, but the scene with Bruce losing it is quite funny. Although I hope Art Linson didn't have to put up with exactly that type of tantrum from Alec. Bruce's behavior being scarily over the top. So um, I think that's uh, pretty exciting. I uh, it, it almost makes me want to check out the movie, but I, you know, I've, I've seen <laughs> the scene. pushed you uh, over the edge? <laughs> I've seen the scene on YouTube, and I enjoyed it there. And since the movie is just so-so, it's like I haven't quite crossed the line to really wanting to see it. I feel like Brendan uh, did the hard work of watching it for me, and now I can just absorb it from his review. But I'm glad that he checked it out. And I, uh, I'm actually, I think, more curious to read Art Linson's memoirs than I am to check out the film. Yeah, well, you can, you can, you can check that out for me. <laughs> Um, I love it. Uh, per Johansson, a dear friend of the show uh, from uh, Sweden, writes in on Facebook, Young Matt Damon and Old Matt Damon are similar. I like when they cast like that. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> We're talking about uh, The Departed. Uh, holy smokes, what a young Leo. Internal affairs, you get some sympathy for the bad one. You don't get that in The Departed. That's absolutely true. Dropkick Murphy's heart emoticon. <laughs> I love that. Uh, I have seen this one, but it's been a long time. It was a pretty thrilling. And this is my favorite bullet that he left us. Uh, Gustav, other friend of the show and his partner uh, on the Film Pod and Podcast, Gustav told me that it ended differently. <laughs> That's a riot. <laughs> I'm going to start telling you that movies end differently. That's where we do it. Let's, let's start to see doing what that. happens. Uh, and uh, Jack Nicholson reminds him of The Joker. Thanks for the awesome pod. Thank you, Per. Thank you. It's uh, great to see you grace our Facebook page. Um, and also, you know, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but I also got a, a message from Gustav uh -huh. uh, that he and, and Per and two other guys are starting up a new podcast. Oh. Yes. And they're going to let us know what it happens, but it is very similar 
to a, uh, shall I say, recent theme that we uh, have done on this show. They're going to do a whole podcast of it. Ooh. I know. Have I peaked Meryl your interest? Streep, yes! <laughs> <laughs> the movies of Woody Allen and Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> Yes, so we'll uh, we'll talk more about that. They, those guys are good fun, and if you speak Swedish, it makes it even better. But I, they are going to be doing some crossover English episodes, and so uh, be on the lookout for that. Fun awesome. Guys. All right. Uh, anything else to to? Oh, uh, my Ian Fleming update. Oh yes, mm-hmm. from Russia with Love and Doctor No down. Nice. Those were great reads, man. And Doctor No. So what is that? Like the fifth or sixth book now? Sixth. Uh, it was the sixth one. So that's the sixth book. Yeah. And it was the first film. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, really, really enjoyed uh, Doctor No. But I think for my money, From Russia with Love is uh, is probably the best one yet. Um, I, it's a great I movie. Deeply enjoyed that book. It was such a, a wonderful, compelling read. Uh, and so I am still really enjoying this and i think they you know i think you're right about the movie and i i don't give that movie enough credit but um i went back and watched some little pieces of it and really enjoyed that one um and i think they do a really good job of doing of of this adaptation um where many of the other books have not made it into solid adaptations um it, it makes it all the more surprising that moonraker came before from rush with love and dr no because you know the the movie was just destroyed the book <laughs> just tore it asunder anyhow, oh my goodness anyhow that's the latest nice i'm pretty excited about the spy who loved me uh from what i understand it is the only uh, book of the series that is written from the perspective of one of his uh ladies uh, oh interesting and she's writing it and apparently he doesn't even enter into the story until two-thirds into the book um, that it was an experiment of Ian Fleming's that uh, he writes uh, that it, it did not go well. And so the book, in fact, w- bears absolutely no resemblance to the film. The only thing he sold of, of the rights to that is the title. Huh. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm very interested in that. It, is a com- it will be a completely new story to me. So Interesting. Yes. Lots of good things in the Ian Fleming world. Uh, which may end up being a spin-off podcast for us. Just all just all the books of Ian Fleming. There you go. There you go. That's all we have to say about that. Shall we tell the people where we're from? Where are we from? This is the next reel on Rash Pixel FM, everybody. I'm Pete Wright, and that there is Andy Nelson. Hi-ho! And we spoil movies tonight on the show. Uh, it's Listener's Choice Extravaganza tonight. We have a very special guest, 2015 Pony Prize winner, Ben Lott, brings us the 1972 Peter Bogdanovich rom-com, What's Up, Doc? Before we get into that, you should learn more about us at thenextreel.com, subscribe to the show on iTunes, or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel, and if you've ever seen a stranger on the, on the street and just decided, hey, I'm going to ruin his life, then you should head over to The Next Reel's Instagram, hashtag PonyPrize, hashtag GuessTheMovieChallenge. Isn't that how we met, Pete? (laughs) (laughs) And now we're in love. And with that, let's see if we can follow the Platt Overnight cases over to Scotland and see if Stephen Smart is still busy setting the curtains on fire in his hotel room. Hey guys, last week we dipped our toes into the 30s with Wuthering Heights from 1939. 
Directed by the great William Wyler and starring Mel Oberon and Laurence Olivier. Congrats to at Ziggy Puskin who guessed it on Image 1. You're entered into the 2016 Pony Prize hat. As always, a new challenge starts on Monday. So thanks guys and see you later. We do have some follow-up, some very special follow-up from the very Ben Lott with the Blot Spot. And this time, because he's on the show, you know what? We had him do it live. Here you go, Ben Lott. Yeah, as for Room, um, I found it to be a very strong story. It's, um, you know, it's really engaging watching, especially in the second half of the film, watching the way that they deal with uh, the, you know, post-traumatic stress, you know, and everything, and the difference between the mother and the son. Um, I will say one of the problems was I saw a trailer for this movie before I saw the movie. And so the first like half of the movie, I don't think had that same emotional impact that I think it's intended to because I knew what was going on. And I think if you can watch this movie without that movie without knowing anything about it, you'll get much more enjoyment out of it. I haven't ranked it on, uh, I didn't know you guys were doing it. So I haven't ranked it yet on my, uh, flick chart on my film board flick chart but it'll be in the top 50 i'm sure top i don't know maybe top 25 even andy it's time let's do trailers what a crazy batch of trailers we have between us i love it <laughs> we should do it like this every week because this got me so excited <laughs> how did this happen <laughs> i don't know I am actually very excited about this. You go first. I'm I'm really excited about this film. This is uh, the Oscar-nominated film. It didn't win, but uh, it just got nominated for uh, an Oscar this year in Best Foreign Language Film, Embrace of the Serpent. Mm. This film, El Abrazo de la Serpiente. It is the, um, the third feature from Colombian writer-director Ciro Guerra in black and white cinematography, uh, looks just gorgeous. This film, I'm not even really sure if I get what the story's about, but it looks like a guy, well, here you go. Let me read this synopsis uh, for you. At once blistering and poetic, the ravages of colonialism cast a dark shadow over the South American landscape in Embrace of the Serpent, the third feature by Ciro Guerra. Filmed in stunning black and white, Serpent centers on Caramacate, an Amazonian shaman, and the last survivor of his people, and the two scientists who, over the course of 40 years, build a friendship with him. The film was inspired by the real-life journalists of two explorers who traveled through the Colombian Amazon during the last century in search of the sacred and difficult-to-find psychedelic Yacruna plant. So there so you go. So there you go. <laughs> yes. Spoiler! <laughs> I, but, you know, I mean, it tells an interesting uh, idea of what to expect from the story, but watching it, it really does look like a fascinating kind of exploration of these tribal peoples down in the Amazon area. And you get just a really, really kind of just, I, I don't know, it, it seems like the black and white cinematography makes it that much more intense, this journey that these uh, these people are going on as they try to find this, this Yakruna plant. And it looks like one of them... He something happens to him and he has to find this plant or he'll die. And I don't know if I fully get it, but I, I feel like so much of this film is going to be appreciated because of 
the experience of watching it. It has a look. And I mean, normally you think of like the Amazon jungle and you just think of all the lush greens and just how beautiful the area is. And here, this black and white cinematography uh, just, I mean, it really takes out all the, I mean, it takes out all the color, obviously, but it just, by doing so, it creates a, a much more, uh, I'm not sure what the word is, just this presence of this this power of kind of this overwhelming other uh, environment. And it just feels that much more kind of claustrophobic and and otherworldly. I love the journey that it looks like these people are going on. And I love the intensity of and the reality that is depicted in this film. And I don't fully know if I'm going to um, uh, enjoy it or what, but I just feel like the experience is something that I want to have. I think it looks great. I don't think of lush beauty when I think of the Amazon jungle, Andy, and I find that strange that you say that. Uh, all I think about is all the things that could kill me, <laughs> really. And so when you take away all of the black, all of the color, the the only truly redemptive thing about the Amazon jungle, then all that's left are the things that can kill me. And uh, as soon as you put serpent in the title, I think of serpent and the rainbow, and then they show the guy on his back. He's not able to move. He's like paralyzed, some drug-induced thing. And I'm thinking now they've got the zombie thing going, uh, the, the zombie drug. And I, I don't I don't know. Uh, it looks really weirdly terrifying, uh, particularly when the the uh, tribesman is on the canoe and he's laughing hysterically. That was probably <laughs> the scariest sequence in the entire thing. So uh, I think it looks really crazy. I am in favor of this film. I think I am probably going to uh, like it, but not like myself in the process. That is funny. There you go. That's my review. Very when funny. do we get it? Um, it's kind of a... a uh... It's, it's being screened across the country kind of very slowly. It had its New York and L.A. releases so that it could have its Oscar nomination. But it looks like starting February 17th, so it's already started, it kind of having a, a slow release plan across the country. It's been in New York, California, um, and it's kind of going to slowly spread from those two states uh, just around the rest of the country. Oh, so if you, you go to the this. website. Scottsdale on mm -hmm. March 11th. At yep. the Harkins Camel View. Right. And Portland, March 11th. That's right. At the Living Room Theaters. We could see it together almost. We should. We should do that. It's a date. March 11th. March 11th. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, uh, I think this is great. I'm very excited uh, about catching this one. And the Living Room Theater is really nice. I can get some booze. Hey, nice. And that'll make it. That'll make the movie go down easier. Smooth. I think the new Camel View, you can do the same. So uh, mm. I haven't been there yet, but I hear... Good things. So what's yours, Pete? Oh, you know, I am by no means an expert in uh, Indian cinema, in Bollywood cinema. But I, I picked one this week that is big. It is a big one. It's a big thriller. Uh, the, the premise is an Indian superstar becomes an unhealthy obsession for a Delhi-based fan. Uh, the, the gimmick here is that the both the Indian superstar... And the Delhi-based fan, uh, about 20 years his younger, are played by the same actor, Shah Rukh Khan. Uh, and Shah Rukh Khan is, uh, is, is an older guy like us. He's in his, in his uh, 
mid 40s and they do some wonderful uh computer benjamin button computer trickery to make him uh, look young and smooth and uh, all sorts of fancy makeup and they create a really cool atmosphere where uh, these guys end up chasing one another and uh i (laughs) found it really compelling as a as a cool big budget action thriller the thing i thought was uh, was really cool about it is you know whenever i look at these uh at the bollywood movies even shahrukh khan i mean he's a big star in india right in terms of these bollywood movies and he's um he's got 89 credits to his name i mean everybody in this film has a lot of credits to his name uh the film is directed by manish sharma who has four director credits to his name Four. And four second unit credits to his name. Now, I don't know if that is accurate, because I know sometimes IMDb does not keep up with all of the the, the credits, but um, what I gather is he is a uh, young and new director. What do you think? I watched this, and it wasn't until the end of the trailer uh, when they tell us who's in it, and they say SRK for Shah Rukh Khan. Yeah, yeah. And then they say SRK again for the other guy. I'm like, wait a minute, What? And I had to go back and watch the trailer again. I'm like, oh, my God, it is the same guy. Yeah. And I totally didn't even pick up on it because they do a really good job of of youngifying him. And to the point where he he really kind of looked like a different person. I was quite impressed with the uh, with that effect that they pulled off here. Um, it looks a lot of like it's going to be a lot of fun. It, it looks like a little bit uh, kind of a little bit of uh, misery. Yes. A little bit yeah, of that. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and just a little bit of, uh, you know, maybe uh, The Fan, the yep, uh, yep. the Tony Scott film. I, you know, I don't know. I, I think it looks like a fun one. It kind of had some production quality, some some uh, production design uh, touches from like Now You See Me. You know, all the big crowd stuff really felt like it was shot in the in the realm of sort of Now You See Me. It just felt very much like that. And that's one of the things I really liked about Now You See Me is that it's uh, it's they do a, a good job of some of the big, uh, the, the great big stunt effects. Uh, and so it had the, they do a, I love this, the, the sequence in the trailer where you see him see his, idol for the first time in real life where they slow everything down and you just see him like stunned 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 and then scream uh i just (laughs) that like spoke such volumes for me about this film i think it's going to be really fun so i'm putting it on the list we get it april 16th or april 15th tax day uh in the usa so i'm i'm hoping we'll get a digital release i'm obviously i'm not not sure we'll get certainly uh probably not in my market i I don't think we'll get a theatrical release but i'm hoping we can find it somewhere because it looks really fun well anyway april 15th uh get in line that's all i have to say nice because it's a very special listener's choice evening uh andy it's our big celebration evening uh, we do oh, yes. have this this fantastic conversation with uh, with Ben Lott, who won the Pony Prize, and so he got all the goodies. Oh yeah, get lots of goodies. All the goodies, the p- lots of goodies, uh, and he also got as part of the winnings, uh, he was able to pick a film that he thought Andy and I should watch, and that film, Andy, is what Ben is going to introduce for us in this brief conversation, right here. Go Ben Lott. Thanks for having me, guys. It's been too long. Too long. Feels good to be here. When when did you before we start into the 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 Pony Prize stuff and the 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 film that you picked for us? Uh, when did you start doing the, the start writing in with the Blot Spot? Oh goodness. Um, do you do you I remember? C- I can't remember the first time I wrote 
a comment. I started watching along with you guys when you did Quarantine, which is a ridiculous movie for me to start with because I hate <laughs> I <know>. horror movies. <laughs> but that was when I started watching, and uh, I watched every movie along with you guys from that point on. And then as I progressed, I started watching the back catalog and just eventually got to the point where I had watched, what What are we at now? 240-something? Oh, 277 or so. Yeah. So quarantine was March 28th, 2014. Uh, yes, yes. Uh, well, actually, what got me on board was you had just had a recent episode with The Abyss, which is by far one of my favorite movies. Great movie. So now you're, you're a big fan of, of kind of just following along here. I know you also uh, participated in, over in Flick Charters as far as kind of following some different uh, contests there and having your own thing of where you're having people kind of recommend movies for you to watch periodically and and so you're clearly a, a fan of film and you really enjoy just you know recommendations and and uh, getting introduced by other people to films that they really enjoy and I think that's fantastic I think that there, there's a lot of uh, great you know m- great movies that can be discovered that people just don't necessarily know about and so um, yeah I, I I I personally love doing that too it's 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 great having the world of cinema kind of opened by other people I think that's fantastic. Um, now, as far as, as great things, <laughs> segueing, <laughs> you, you also happened to win the pony prize. <laughs> that was pretty spectacular and ridiculously coincidental. I, I, what, do, what do you call that? <laughs> I know. Uh, Pete and I were like, gosh, is that, is that fair? Is that, is that allowed? <laughs> I thought We've the same exact thing. We're like, well, he's never really been officially a part of the show. He just kind of started doing the blot spot on his own. So it's not like we can turn him down. So, <laughs> no, it's totally we legit. It was. It was. And we're totally thrilled that you ended up winning. Um, how's the booty? You've been uh, getting quite a few little things sent your way, I guess. Oh, yeah. I've been loving it. Tommy's movie selection is some hilarious stuff. I've been loving that. I haven't started reading the books yet, but I'm really excited because... I was going to get a copy of The Martian anyways. Now I got a copy from you guys. So it's been awesome. We're, we're glad that uh, we're glad you got all the stuff. And it's uh, did you finally get the little pony? I think that uh, Steve sent he finally sent the little pony off. I did. I meant to message you about that. I just got it uh, about a week ago. That's officially it. That's the punctuation <laughs> at the end of the pony prize is the little pony. So you got to post a picture of the pony when you get it when you get a chance so others can see it. One of the pieces of the prize is obviously this listener's choice uh, slot to be able to introduce us to a film that we hadn't seen. How hard was it for you uh, to to find a movie that we hadn't seen that you also really wanted to, to recommend to introduce us to? What went into your thinking there? Uh, there was a lot that went into my thinking. Um, part of it was, do I pick something that they haven't seen or do I pick something that I just love? And, you know, you guys maybe have seen, but, uh, Andy kind of said it would be more fun if it was something that you hadn't seen. Well, then that got me thinking, well, should I torture you guys with a guilty pleasure or (laughs) stick with, (laughs) or stick with something that I truly love, but it's more fun for me to share with you guys something you haven't seen that I really love. Please introduce the film that you have chosen for this week. The film that I chose is Peter Bogdanovich's What's Up Doc from 1972, which is actually a throwback to uh, the madcap comedies from the 1950s. 
It also kind of is an homage to the Marx Brothers movies and even to, as the title would imply, the old Looney Tunes cartoons. What is it about this movie that really resonates with you? I, I have not seen it yet. Uh, I've seen the trailer. I absolutely get what you're saying. I know, Andy, you say you've you've already watched it. You cheated uh, I, and, and watched it ahead oh, of time. Or did, or did you cheat? And <laughs> <laughs> who's the cheater here, Pete? Uh, what is it that, that connects with you to this film? Is it, uh, is it uh, was it a, a, the time in your life or is there something really uh, special about the movie in particular that, that, uh, that you, can, you can specify? Well, you know, as I touched on before, um, I watched a lot of the same movies again and again. Most, A lot of them were ones that they were introduced to me by my parents. And this was one that my dad really loved, and he introduced it to me. I watched it with him, and we would just sit there and just laugh and laugh and laugh at this because we just found it so humorous, the combination of the uh, the snappy, humorous dialogue and the crazy... Uh, you know, like physical comedy and, you know, the plot is also kind of silly. It's everything about it. Just it tickled our funny bones just right. And so it's always been a movie that I can watch it. I've probably watched it 30 times in my life or more, and it still makes me laugh every time. I can totally see what you're saying. There's there's something about just the, the I guess, the over over the topness of characters and of situations in screwball comedies that can be so much fun. I mean, we, I don't think we've really done a whole lot of screwball comedies so far on the show, but um, but I do I do really enjoy them. I think that um, there is something madcap that um, just the nature of them is just it's very entertaining to watch. Does Under the Cherry um, Moon count? <laughs> it's <laughs> pretty close. <laughs> it's, that might be one way to rewatch it and <laughs> find a whole new level there. <laughs> but um, but you know it's interesting because I, I guess um, in the world of screwball comedies, it's funny. I had never I, I knew this movie was out there. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know that this was kind of a, a, a an homage, or you could I, I don't know if it's an homage or if it's just kind of a, a modern retelling of kind of the old screwball comedies. Um, but um, but I, I I enjoyed what they did with this one here. Um, I I guess it was maybe my uh, perception of, of Barbara Streisand and her career that that's what surprised me the most about watching this is I, I I didn't think of Barbara Streisand as somebody who would be in screwball comedies. She is she's actually like the Groucho Marx in this movie. If you follow her dialogue, she she sounds like. Uh, you know, like a Groucho Marx type character. She's just got those witty one-liners. She's just throwing them out there constantly. It's it's totally against character for what I normally would see Barbara Streisand in. You know what's funny about it is like she's she actually has a a real bent for comedy. I mean, even as as recent as you know, Meet the Fockers. Like there is a you can tell she's got a a strong vein for um, for doing that kind of work, and she just hasn't. Uh, much of her catalog is is not funny. Some of it is funny. It's been a long uh, time Yentl since I've seen funny. funny Girl. Yentl was a riot. <laughs> That's my favorite comedy of hers. <laughs> uh, anyway. Uh, but the other one is this is Ryan O'Neill. Um, he's, uh, you know, there's a guy who is is just naturally funny and was part of an era of films that I didn't appreciate at the time. I don't think I didn't appreciate it as much just because of the age I was. I think I probably would have been a much bigger fan of Ryan O'Neill if I was, you know, now in my sixties. 
uh, he would have been making movies that just show kind of what a swashbuckling, swashbucklingly awesome, handsome, rugged, uh, funny dude is. Well, and in this movie, if you listen to like the commentaries or whatever, Peter Bogdanovich talks about the fact that he wanted Ryan O'Neill to model his character after Cary Grant. Yeah. And so you can see some of his mannerisms. He's trying to, you know, behave like Cary Grant. They particularly keep bringing up the movie Bringing Up Baby. Yeah, I can totally see that now. I didn't I didn't put two and two together, but yeah, that makes sense. And so I I found him pretty hilarious in the film as well. He's kind of the straight man in a lot of it, but it works really well. But the real person that you got to talk about, and I'm sure you guys will get to it on the show, this was the feature film debut for Madeline Kahn. Oh, and yeah. She, oh. And she is hilarious. She steals every scene she's in. I mean, it is amazing how good she was from the get-go. Madeline Kahn is just one of those uh, comedy gold people, and she is uh, she is really fantastic in this film. Absolutely. She, she makes that character one of a kind when it could just be annoying or... Uh, frustrating. Also, one of uh, one of Randy Quaid's very first films, wasn't it? It's his second film, and it's one of those. You say Randy Quaid, but it's one of those movies where you keep seeing people, and you'll constantly say, "Isn't that?" And yeah. every single time, it's like the answer is yes. <laughs> are you how how are you as follow as far as following uh, Peter Bogdanovich's career? Have you seen many of his films? I've seen a few. He certainly has a handle on the type of comedy that i like because um i recently watched this year i watched paper moon which Mm -hmm. i found spectacular um he also directed the uh feature film version of noises off uh, oh yes actually a stage play holy cow that movie that's one of my favorite comedies of all time that one i could you know Again, that's another one I could watch right now, and I'd just be rolling on the floor with laughter. So I'm just looking through his filmography. That may have been the first film of his that I actually watched, and I didn't really know who he was. And then I went back and, and ended up watching a lot of the other ones. But yeah, Noises Off has always been one of my favorite comedies that he has done as well. The uh, uh, the script comes to us from Buck Henry, David Newman, uh, Robert Benton, and story by Peter Bogdanovich. I'm, this is, uh, Buck Henry is one of my very favorites. David Newman obviously has his hands in some of the biggest um, sort of blockbusters of the uh, of the era. Um, and um, so I, it, it the pedigree is all just right for this film in terms of what they are trying to accomplish. I can't wait to watch it. I think it's a great pick, and... Um, uh, I feel like I'm, I'm able to not spoil the conversation by giving any opinion at all, unlike Andy, who is, <laughs> has, again, cheated, for the record. Let the yes. record well, show. Well, and here's a spoilery question. <laughs> so, so, Ben, how well could you follow all the different briefcases? <laughs> well, I'll be perfectly I mean, you, honest. You've seen it a lot more than I have. I'll be perfectly honest. That's one of the reasons that I like it as a film to rewatch is because when you go through it and watch it again, you can track it. It just, it takes, the first time I watched it, I'm sure I didn't have any clue, but I was pretty young then. Um, But as I've watched it more and more, you can track it, and they're real honest with it. You can always know where each case is if you pay attention. And by the way, Pete, as long as you were talking about not having watched it yet, I I would recommend you watch it with some of your family if you can, because this is a film that's, it has 
what films nowadays seem to lack, the ability to talk about, make jokes about sexual things, but with innuendo as opposed to blatant. It's, it's very much a PG film. It's it's a fun one for the whole family, I think. Well, uh, Ben Lott, thank you so much for your time and your interest in great films and for following along and participating so uh, wonderfully. We really appreciate you uh, doing your part in this thing, and it's it just makes our week every week to get your comments. So thank you so much, and congratulations on all the pony stuff. No, I really appreciate it, guys. I appreciate everything you guys do. Just keep it up. Where would you like people to to follow you? You are, you are so active in all these different movie sites. Uh, if people are interested in, in uh, catching up with uh, your rankings and recommendations, where do you point them? Oh, I don't know. Um, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I do have my flick chart. Uh, my uh, next real flick chart is like Blot 2013-ON. I need to change the name on that one. <laughs> I also have I also have Blot Film Board, where I rank the film board movies separately, like you guys do. Excellent. And uh, on Flickchart, and also on Flickchart, if you just do Blot, that's my whole chart. Or go to Letterboxd and look for Blot. I'm kind of Blot everywhere. Blot everywhere. Everywhere I can get it. This is San Francisco, the city chosen by one of the most brilliant and sensitive new generation of filmmakers, Peter Bogdanovich, for his maiden comedy effort, What's Up, Doc? Starring Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neill. Where are we? I can't see! Well, there's not much to see, actually. We're inside a Chinese dragon. Any experienced observer of shooting techniques will quickly sense the utterly new and different atmosphere created on the Bogdanovich set. No more the crass showmanship and slapdash of the old Hollywood. 1972, What's Up, Doc? Directed by Peter Bogdanovich. Written by lots of people that I enjoy. Buck Henry, David Newman, Robert Benton, and, uh, of course, Peter Bogdanovich with the story. Stars Barbara Streisand, Ryan O'Neill, introducing Madeline Kahn, uh, along with a number of other fantastic people in this cast that we will talk about in a bit. Uh, I have now seen the film. I had not seen the film, as you know, when we talked to Ben, but now I have, and uh, I, I think my expectations of the film were low. Andy, uh-huh. and as a result, maybe not as a result, conveniently, they were exceeded <laughs> Well, good. by a significant amount. I found myself having a delightful time with this film, as long as I didn't think too much about it. What'd you think? You hadn't seen this either. I hadn't seen it. You know, it's funny. I, I enjoyed it a, a, a bit. It was an interesting one because the first time I watched it, I watched it by myself late at night. And I actually have seen it twice. Um, and that was uh, before our conversation with Ben. I watched it the first time and I enjoyed it. Um, I struggle with uh, with Barbara Streisand's character. Um, but then I watched it a second time and I, I took Ben's advice and I was like, you know what? I'm going to watch this with the family. And... You know, I think my kids might be a little young for some of it, but let me tell you, it was so much more fun watching it with a group, watching it with my family, having all the laughs, especially the chase scene. That was like the pinnacle for my kids, and it was just so fun to watch. Uh, the, the scene when the trash cans come rolling around the corner and toward that guy who just can't get out of the, the way and he leaps over the fence and crashes onto the table 
we watched that. We backed it up and watched it probably like 20 times because my kids could not stop laughing. And they just go, again, daddy, again, again. And it was really fun. That was the way to watch this film is is with your family, with uh, some people who can just have a lot of laughs with it and just really enjoy it. And I ended up enjoying it a lot more on my second viewing. I, I enjoyed it on my first viewing, but it definitely went up watching it with them. I I, I did not see it with uh, with family. The schedule just didn't work out. And so we and and it is actually on the schedule for our family movie night but we were in the middle of our oceans series and we just couldn't break that up ah. and so here we are uh so i didn't see it but and and yet i found that chase scene was the pinnacle for me i mean i was in stitches and i was sitting <laughs> it parked uh parked in the portland park blocks uh just sitting in my car watching it on my ipad laughing hysterically to myself mostly because of the brilliant choices they made around the two guys with the glass. Uh, I was just in <laughs> stitches. I thought they did a great job with that. We'll talk about the comedy and the physical humor. The The premise is actually the thing I have trouble with uh, because, and I think I may be with you with Barbara Streisand, I don't know if we have the same problems with her character. Um, the, the premise is really rough to to explain, I think, the the idea is that there are these four uh, plaid, identical plaid bags, and they each have a different, you know, different contents. Different contents. Right. Yeah. They've got, we've got one with the, the, the rocks. That is, uh, those are the, the. Howard Bannister's. Howard Bannister's rock, igneous, igneous rocks. Igneous rocks, right. He's the musicologist studying the rocks. Uh, right. We have one with the, um, with uh, Madeline Kahn's clothes in them. Mm-hmm. Well, no, no, Judy's clothes. Judy's clothes, right, right, right. Judy's clothes. Yes. See, I'm, I'm not <laughs> going to be good with the bags. Uh, we have one with some secret documents, U.S. top secret documents. Right, right, right. That Michael Murphy is carrying around. Yes, and we have some with uh, riches in terms of jewels, the old lady's jewels. Right. That's right. it. This We've is got these Van four Hoskins bags. Jewels. Correct. Right. And these, and so the whole movie is. Uh, the, surrounds the mix-up of these identical plaid bags and how the antics of the owners of these bags and the people who want the bags escalate over the course of about an hour and a half. Yes. And beyond that, uh, there isn't much to the movie. With the exception of uh, Barbara Streisand's uh, role, I think. she's Yeah. Yeah. That's that's the role that, uh, I mean, you know, this is a screwball comedy. I mean, that was really the goal that Bogdanovich set out to make. He wanted to, to, to do a kind of a, a screwball comedy in the classic vein of bringing up baby. And I definitely think they achieved that. I think that he kind of set out to do a film similar to that and uh, have the same kind of uh, very stuffy... Uh, you know, kind of business-minded, you know, scientist sort of guy. Uh, Ryan O'Neill fits the Cary Grant mold here. And the the Daffy Dame and uh, Barbara Streisand uh, as Judy Maxwell fits uh, uh, Catherine Hepburn's role. And that was kind of what he wanted to do. And I think that, I think that he set out to do it, and I think he did it. I think the comedy in here, especially the second time, I, I really clicked with it a lot more the second time. My biggest struggle in these stories uh, when it's a Daffy Dame like this is really connecting with the uh, that daffiness and how it 
how it turns into kind of a love relationship. And I really struggled with Barbara Streisand's Judy character um, because I was just like, she's so off the wall and wacky. It's like, you know, poor Howard. I mean, he needs to run and get away from her as far as he needs to go because she is just, she's a psycho stalker. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes, a thousand times yes. So there were two bits that I couldn't swallow. The first is, uh, like, I had such trouble uh, with her introduction to the film. She is, she is the like. It, it's hard to make her funny, for like her existence in the film funny for me. If if again, if I think about it too hard, she's she like picks a mark and she's a criminal, right? She is a she's a criminal. Right. It is. It is like she picks a mark. Like she sees him across the room, and it's like she goes, "Oh, him! I'm gonna, I'm gonna go after him." Yeah, and however <laughs> this happens, his life. I'm gonna ruin his life. I'm a ruiner of lives. It is what I do, and uh, she clearly has a history of this, which we discover uh, as the film goes on, and we, and we end up meeting her father. Like she's, she has a history of of doing things that destroy things she burns down a school she's i I mean she's not a a good person and yet she is uh, written as really smart um she's constantly spouting her smarts uh in in terms of uh just you know quotes and all sorts of things that she has right on the tip of her tongue um she is uh, adorable she is really i I mean i think she's very charming uh in the film but if you if you stop and think about what she's actually doing to this poor guy who just wants to get his grant uh it's it's frustrating it's just kind of frustrating for me so I put that aside, and right about the time when we get to the um, to the dinner, uh, to the big awards dinner, and she goes in and pretends to be uh, the the wife, his uh, fiance, Bernsey, uh, and it, it was the moment when they when she says, "Oops, I've dropped my napkin," and she puts her head under the table, and he puts her head on the t- uh, under the table, and they all put their heads under the table and start having that conversation. That's when I really started to to get it, that I need to loosen up, I need to not think too hard about it, and I could actually have a good time at this movie, and, and it turns out I did. The second thing that I had trouble with is the very last sequence in the, in the, uh, in the plane in the film. That one, I just, I could have done without it. The, did you know I was in love with you scene? That Why? Was, that was it. It was just like, oh, please. I, you know, it, was, it brought me back out of the comedic reverie of... Um, and and it made me think once again about who she is, and and I was just like, ah, I didn't buy it. With the the, the batting of the eyes and and the silliness of, of yes. her quoting that line, it was dumb. I thought that was brilliant, what? especially because <laughs> one, it, my understanding is I haven't seen Love Story with Ryan O'Neill, but my understanding is it is a line from. Oh, that film. for crying out loud! It totally is. Oh, and, you know what? I forgot. I can't believe I forgot. And the way that she bats her eyes, it's like she's purposefully, uh, you know, pointing out how silly a line like that is. Yeah. So okay, well, maybe I, I really enjoyed on that. <laughs> I thought it was very funny. I can loosen up on that. Uh, <laughs> anyway, I, so overall, those were the sequences that I think it really got. One of the things that I think they really got well, and and I, I had to come back to this Buck Henry quote, uh, who ended up writing it was was on the writing team late. Ended up doing a revision of the of the script himself, uh, kind of late in the game. His take on it was that "What's Up, Doc?" is a farce, which generally means it's about nothing except itself, and that I think 
really adequately describes my experience of it. Uh, and, and I have much more fun when I don't pull it apart at all. Yeah, you really can't uh, in a film like this. I mean, you can uh, you can pull it apart and look at, okay, how did they track the bags? And like that sort of stuff, you can really pull it apart. But in the general sense, when you're looking at a story that is this farcical comedy that's just designed to be screwball, I mean, it's in the the genre name, you know, it's a screwball comedy. It's not necessarily something that you want to pull apart for... Um, seriousness sake and and really analyze the bits and pieces to make sure that the story lines up okay because it's just it is a silly thing to do and the story itself is silly i mean everything about judy is silly the way that she is obsessed with eating right at the beginning and leads to all these accidents and and things that i mean that's that's why really why they end up meeting in the first place because the taxi has to slam its brakes on and, and Howard smacks his head and gets a headache. And so now he has to go to the drugstore and that's where they meet. And it's it's just, you know, it's just one of those films. It's just, it's full of coincidences and and, and random meetings and stuff. And and I, I did have a lot easier time watching Barbara Streisand as Judy the second round. It was the first time I watched it that I just, I... I really struggled with that. And, you know, I think I probably, it's been a while since I, um, since my first viewing of Bringing Up Baby, but I could probably say that I felt that way about Katherine Hepburn's character in that film too. I think that I personally struggle with that Daffy Dame type of character. And yes, I appreciate that they're, you know, they've got the joie de vie and all that. And they're helping these, these uptight stuffy professors kind of break out of their mold and and avoid basically having a life ruined by being stuck with somebody like Eunice but at the same time it's 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 a very frustrating character to have to put up with and and definitely Judy is a very frustrating character when you step out of out of the film and look at it from that perspective agreed and yet the things they get right, the the comedic beats, the chase beats, the bag beats, the uh, uh, the big chase moments, uh, I think they do really well. Um, the you know the first one, back to the dinner, uh, the the choreography of the wine handoff is, is I think really cleverly done um, between uh, Ryan O'Neill and uh, his uh, competitor. Hang on, I don't have their names up. Who was the That'd Hugh be Simon. Kenneth Mars? Yeah. Kenneth yeah. Mars as Hugh Simon and uh, Mr. Larrabee uh, Austin Pendleton. Okay, um, so I think the the uh, choreography of the dinner sequence, I think the wine handoff or the champagne handoff, I think is particularly well done. This is between uh, Kenneth Mars as Hugh Simon, the uh, I guess is he, what was he Serbian, Croatian? Yeah, I think yeah, I think he's supposed to be. Although when he's actually Speaking his own language at the ending, it's, it's all made it is, up. Yeah, all made up language. So that's uh, played by Kenneth Mars. And Austin Pendleton is Frederick Larrabee, who is the, the grand benefactor. That's He's the guy who's giving away this $20,000 grant. And and the three of them end up doing this dance around the, um, you know, the floor of this sort of dining room uh, with champagne. And it, it is a very funny sequence. And that is that leads up to the under-the-table sequence I like so much. And it is a great bit of runway. Uh, for me, that uh, uh, I found myself really, really chuckling at. It was a beautiful bit of of just kind of nuanced physical comedy, and that for me 
started the uh, kind of uh, is where the film took off. Yeah, Kenneth Mars, uh, his character is so funny. And that scene that you're talking about um, really cracked me up too. the way that um, when Larrabee was trying to to shake Howard's hand and, and introduce himself to Howard and Hugh keeps like the way that he keeps maneuvering himself and grabbing both of Larrabee's hands and like holding him as they walk. It just it was really funny. I thought that was very clever to kind of play it that way where they had this 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 funny almost like a dance choreography as they were moving around. So yeah, I think Kenneth Mars brought a lot to the table as this character. And I mean it's clear why um, you know, Mel Brooks cast him a number of times because he has a great physical presence. So from dinner, we end up uh, up in the hotel room where we see uh, it, Ryan O'Neill. He just wants to get uh, get a break. He's exhausted. He wants to sit down and have a calm evening. And Barbara Streisand, Judy, is in his bathtub. And that is where uh, the next bit of vaudevillian comedy begins. Uh, yes. What do you think of this one? You know, I, I really enjoy it. And something else, uh, jumping back real quick to the dinner that I really enjoyed was the fact that they uh, kind of break the fourth wall a bit. And I really thought it worked so well when uh, Ryan O'Neill looks at the camera and just goes, help. Does he do that? He does that multiple times. He does he? that several times. Yeah. 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 And I he doesn't it, say help every time. No, but, but he does. I think it works every time. I actually find it really charming. Yeah, I, I do too. There's something about that level of absurdity that worked really well in context of this comedy that they were telling. And I think that everything going on in the hotel room just worked just just as well. I mean, from from the way that Madeline Kahn plays her character and the way that she counts to five when she's standing <laughs> when she's standing in the hallway waiting for him to open the door. To uh, to the conversation about uh, trying to get Barbara Streisand to go out on the ledge, and you know, you know, she knows karate, and she's like, oh, whatever she's saying. I mean, it was it was absurdly funny, and I really enjoyed all of it. And then you have like the firemen coming in in the hall, <laughs> and they just like randomly run up to a door and start smacking it with their axe. It's just like it was such nonsense. But I think it was done in the right way, in the right spirit, and I think it worked really well. Her hanging off of the ledge when she falls off the ledge and is hanging from the ledge with the impossible towel wrapped around her. Right. <laughs> That's all I could think of was that is some towel wrap. <laughs> that that is towel's amazing. not going anywhere. That is yeah. not going anywhere. Uh, it, but generally, I thought it was fantastic. And then uh, the as the crown jewel on this particular scene, we the the hotel manager comes up to escort him out of the building the next day. Hotel manager is played by John Hillerman, who is, of course, Higgins for Magnum P.I. So <laughs> perfect. So great. And he says, one of the, my favorite lines in the film, uh, well, I have a message to you from all of the staff. <laughs> and that is, goodbye. <laughs> I don't know if that's the exact line, but it made me laugh really hard, and he was uh, he was just terrific um, as, as a little bit in this film. It was great seeing him uh, pop up, and I believe he's in in Bogdanovich's next film too. Um, but he's just he's just one of those guys that I just I don't know. Maybe it's just because he was in Magnum PI, and I oh, watched yeah. that so much as a kid that every time I see him, it just is such a treat. I get so excited. Jumping back to uh, the writing team here, 
I think that it is very hard for writers to tackle a genre that was kind of popularized in a particular period and and just isn't being done as much. And the screwball comedy certainly had its heyday uh, back in kind of the 30s and 40s, and it's never really gone away, but there's something about the ones that were done back then that I think really stand out as kind of the the essence of what screwball comedy is. And I think it's it's very difficult for writers to tackle a a type of film like that that kind of was popularized you know with an acting style and everything from a particular point in time. I think these guys do a really good job. I mean there's an there's a movie that's that's coming to my mind and John Turturro was in it. I think it was called Brain Donors, but I can't remember and it was a movie that they that he did in like the early 90s that was supposed to be kind of a throwback to the the Marx Brothers type of film. Mm. And my recollection of that film is that it was a bomb, it just a complete disaster and they were really trying to tap into that type of comedy, but it's just it wasn't something that worked for our particular period of time. And I think that having this writing team really clearly people who still really loved the the screwball comedies they found the right way to tap into the story and uh, and do it the right way i mean i don't think watching this film i ever felt this feels like a, a 70s retread of of what screwball comedies were it just it worked purely as a screwball comedy you know I you know I was trying to figure out I don't know much about let's see it I, about Robert Benton um, Robert Benton and David Newman were um, you know heavily involved in um, you know well we we actually talked about Robert Benton around Kramer versus Kramer um, but uh, he was also on Superman uh, David Newman was involved in uh, in the Superman uh, series but when you look at who is largely uh, or t- brings a true expertise to that screwball bit. It is, you know, Peter Bogdanovich, I think, has a natural um, gift for it, but Buck Henry as well. I mean, Buck Henry is behind uh, Get Smart and Catch-22 and these, uh, you know, the films that you uh, um, come from him tend to have uh, a real exercise of that sort of uh, verbal and physical wit. Uh, that that I think this film really exemplifies, and I think does so in a way that is that again doesn't feel like a retread. It feels like it doesn't feel all that dated, apart from the clothes, apart from the you know general locale, the setting. Um, it it still feels like you can just let it wash over you and laugh. And I think that's a that's a real testament to what I think Buck Henry is able to bring that sort of timeless humor. Yeah, it's it's uh, I mean. You know, he's a writer who could do the the humor in things like The Graduate and the Get Smart TV show and Catch-22 and this and To Die For in the mm-hmm. mid-90s. I yeah. mean, he, he's he got a very uh, a smart wit about him. And I think it takes, you know, I think the thing with screwball comedy is some people see it as just really over-the-top goofy humor, and I don't think that's what it is. I think that there is definitely this screwball antics to it, but I still think it has to be really smart with the characters in order to actually make it 
feel the right way for a screwball comedy. Well, and I think that's true. When you look at any one of these characters individually, there is something that you would like about them, right? And I even think that the character we have the most trouble with in Barbara Streisand, uh, hanging out with Judy would actually be really fun. Yeah, right. Oh, I, I mean, agree. she's smart. She's she's got a, a great wit. She's interesting. She's clearly she's captivating at a table. Uh, same thing with uh, with uh, O'Neill, with Ryan O'Neill's character. I mean, as the professor, he's he does an interesting thing. He's kind of a drip socially, but he has an interesting job. He would be interesting to talk to. All of these characters are of interest in themselves, and I think that's what makes it so funny. Is that none of the characters end up being just truly vapid. One could even make the case that it's Madeline Kahn as Eunice. Burns is an interesting character to sit down and talk to. She's she is uh, just naturally uh, kind of a, a domineering socially, but uh, but clearly there is uh, is something to be um, uh, redeemed by everybody in in this cast. I think it would be uh, I think that ends up being what makes this screwballness work so well is that all these people don't work well together. That's I, I think that's putting it really well. Peter Bogdanovich, I I don't know a lot of Peter Bogdanovich stuff. He is one of those guys who I think I knew of him more as a guy who was really into movies. I think that was kind of where I came about with him was he would write books where he sat down with John Ford or he sat down with Howard Hawks or he sat down with uh, just countless other filmmakers. And it was like, he was the guy who would like get to hang out and talk with all these great filmmakers and get all these amazing stories from them. I mean, he's got many books of just sitting down doing amazing interviews with these guys, just talking about filmmaking and what it takes to kind of make movies in in uh, the in in their Hollywood. Um, Orson Welles is another guy that he was buddy buddy with. I don't think it was for a while that I actually uh, first saw a film of his. Uh, It was, what was the first film I saw of his? It probably was... Mask. uh, That was was mine. (laughs) Actually, it probably was Mask, now that you say that, because I forgot that he had done that one. Yeah. Which is funny, because it doesn't stand out as something that is like a Peter Bogdanovich film. Not at all, but that is exactly my point about why I feel like I don't really know his work very well, because I have also seen The Last Picture Show, obviously What's Up, Doc, Paper, Moon, like these films. I've seen these films, and I, uh, I, there was no, for me, no real connective tissue uh, that brought them together as Peter Bogdanovich pieces. I, I would agree there. I mean... You know, Mask first and then Noises Off, which uh, we talked about with Ben. I mean, that movie I really love. It's just so stinking funny. Really great uh, stage show. Really great movie. An incredible cast to work with. Really. Yeah, absolutely great. Absolutely great. Um, The Cat's Meow I saw. That was an interesting one that he did in 2001. Um uh, I mean, he hasn't done a lot since then, but uh, I think from there I had gone back to see some of his earlier films like Paper Moon and The Last Picture Show, which I really love. Mm-hmm. That's just, I, I think, one of the uh, one of the greats. And so, um, yeah, I think you're right. It, there's nothing that stands out to me as, oh, oh, that's, that's a Bogdanovich film. Um, but I do think that in general, he's he's putting together good stories. Now, I mean, again, that's the ones that I've seen of his, but... Well, you look at what he has in post-production, too. I mean, he's got, you know, five films in post right now or announced uh, that, that, he, uh, that, he that as an in. actor. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
So in, in terms of, of direction, One Lucky Moon is in pre-production right now, which is, I, I think, a, a funny, uh, he's got a funny career that we're, we're kind of cresting with. Um, but, but I think one of the, back to What's Up, Doc, I think what this really showcases is just how, what a gift he has in this kind of comedy and clearly has a lot of fun making it. He does. And, and I mean, he said this was the most fun he had making a film. And I mean, he really wanted to do something that wasn't serious after Last Picture Show. He wanted to do something that was a, a little more fun. And, and Warner Brothers, I, I think, pitched to him something more serious. He says, like, you know, I'd really like to do a screwball comedy like Bringing Up Baby. And they let him. And and he, with the help of his writers, kind of developed this story and uh, created a really fun story. And Barbara Streisand had wanted to work with him after seeing Last Picture Show, and and she was on board. And you know, I they I think that he he's a guy who's got a lot of stories from a lot of great filmmakers, and has been able to really craft some some strong films from uh, from his experience and everything. I, I this is a really fun film and he proves that he doesn't have to do just brooding serious films like last picture show. He can actually do a wide variety of genres. Uh, let's talk a little bit about Laszlo Kovacs. Can we? Laszlo. Uh, Laszlo. Before we do, mm, you don't want to, do I that, do want right? to finish talking about Peter. Oh, you have more to say. <laughs> one, th- one other thing I want to say about Peter. All right, go. The other thing about uh, about uh, Peter is that um, you know Howard Hawks is a big influence um, in his life, and um, and Howard Hawks had done Bringing Up Baby and uh, with Cary Grant, and uh, he had talked to Hawks about it, and he actually named the char- character Howard after him, and he has um, he has Judy call him Steve, which is a nod to. Um, uh, Lauren Bacall calling Humphrey Bogart Steve in I think it's The Big Sleep. And that's a uh, another nod to Howard Hawks. Just these little nods that he put in there to one of his favorite directors, which I thought was great. I, I really enjoyed that he um, was trying to do something fun in the spirit of what Howard Hawks had done. And Howard Hawks is a director who also really jumped around genre-wise and, and did all sorts of things. And so it's nice to see that Bogdanovich was kind of just patterning himself after him. What about cinematography? Um, uh, cinematography on this one is done by Laszlo Kovacs. We have talked about him uh, but once, I think, with Say Anything, 1989. Huh? Uh but uh, what's your sense of how this was shot? This struck me as a film that was done specifically to uh, not be noticed for the cinematography, but to really just kind of stand out as very, um, uh, I don't want to say just clean and simple. It was clean and simple, but I think that they also chose to use stuff that was a little more primary. And I, I think that lent itself well to kind of that animated Warner Brothers Looney Tunes sorts of feel that uh, that goes on with this film. I I agree with you. And I I think, though, that I, I don't want to not give credit to some of these choices around filming the more physical comedy stuff, uh, particularly around the chase, uh, the choice. I think you're right. Like when you look at, at the, um, the the flaming room scene, you know, it, it is shot largely from the door. 
Uh, and sometimes we get some close-ups, but largely it's from it's from that primary position. But then when we're into the chase, they do some really fun things: putting the camera on the bike, putting the camera in the in the mouth of the uh, of the Chinese dragon. Um, there are just some really fun choices that make it much more dynamic. And I think that that is to me what actually lends it so much kind of wacky credibility when you look at when you talk about the kind of Looney Tunes. Uh, effect of it is as soon as they decide to move the camera um, it it really goes bananas there is some some nice movement that they have i mean it's it's not like you know i mean having just talked about scorsese last week no it's not not like a a scorsese sort of film but i do think that uh you know they do a good job of finding the right way to position the camera and they do have fun with mirrors there are a couple of sequences like the the following morning sequence everything's shot in a mirror a reflective a reflection of all of the characters they're all sleeping somehow uh in their different beds shot in mirrors and i think it ends up looking really cool it's just kind of a clever other way to look at the world that you're about to be introduced to as it is this morning uh and and uh, i think it works it works really well so Yes, that's my that's my taking uh, take on Laszlo Kovacs. Uh, uh, Verna Fields editing. Uh, you know, I only bring up editing in this case because uh, because of all the slapstick stuff. Um, is that something that you uh, that you noted uh, around just sort of the 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 look and feel of the of the way it was cut together? I I don't think I noticed it so much, and I think that speaks well to an editor doing their job well. I think Verna cut this film in a strong way to bring out the comedy. And I think that's um, can be very tricky in a comedy. Actually, something that Bogdanovich said is there was a moment at the end of the film when they did a test screening in Denver and it was right after the judge and like everybody's in the courtroom and the judge discovers that it's Judy, his own daughter. Mm-hmm. And you see her pull off the blanket and say, hello, daddy. And then what happened was it cut directly to him as his desk falls apart or as his bench falls apart. Mm-hmm. And the timing was just just too fast where the audience didn't didn't click with it and didn't find it funny. And and Verna actually went in. She's like, you know, I think we need to time it out better where there needs to be something in between those two to give people a, a little more breathing room between the setup and the payoff. And uh, what she did is she added a shot of uh, Ryan O'Neill's character as he kind of looks at the judge like that. He kind of has that oh brother sort of look on his face. And it's only like a second or two. It's It's a very short shot. But by adding that shot in, that that kept the comedy and it allowed the pacing to work well for the uh, for that big punchline that had to happen at that at that moment as we as we kind of wrap that whole element of the story up. And those are the sorts of moments that I think a, a an editor has to be really attuned to. And she was she knew there has to be something there in order to to make the comedy work and to bring it out. And I think that um, that is a testament to um, his trust in her and her smarts as an editor in telling a, a comedic story like this. Well, and I think, you know, just again to her uh, diversity, I mean, she ended up, this was kind of right in the middle of her editorial career in 72. She started with Studs Lonigan 
1960, uh, but we have talked about her before in a very different context as editor on Jaws. Uh, she did um, uh, Sugarland Express and, and Jaws for uh, Spielberg before she died uh, in, gosh, 83, I think. Um, uh, so this was really kind of at the end of her career, but I, I think the same thing that you, that you describe is that experience in, in what's up doc and, and editing for timing, you could say the same thing in jaws, uh, that editing for timing to, to make it just as haunting as it is, is, um, uh, is a real testament to her as well. Uh, tell me what you want to talk about Polly Platt. You know, she's a production designer. I think that she does a great job in, uh, in these, uh, films. And I think, from the really kind of uh, um, terrible hotel hallway that we see so much of as people are going up and down and in and out of this hallway. She she creates this great, ugly look of this hotel hallway that I like so much. And uh, the like to the the hotel where they're having the big dinner to the uh, to um, the house where we have the kind of the award ceremony happening when uh, when they all go over to um, to Larrabee's house and he has those those funky plastic stairs and funky plastic I don't know if they're tubes designed for anything or if they're just plastic you know kind of columns supporting his house I I don't really know but it just seemed to kind of fit so well in this world <laughs> I really enjoyed kind of the absurdity of it it was just so strange so I, I really enjoyed what Polly Platt uh, brought to the table here. And, uh, and she, of course, had been uh, married to Peter Bogdanovich up until uh, around this time. It was uh, his affair with uh, Sybil Shepherd that kind of brought that uh, crumbling down after they met on the last picture show, which is really too bad. Um, I thought that, um, you know, I mean, I don't know much about the relationship between Peter and Polly, other than uh, I, I think they they continued to being friendly and working with each other a few times afterwards. So um, I like to think that there was something there. I just don't know, but uh, she's as she's just a really strong designer, and I like the work that she does here. The uh, we got to talk just a little bit before we move on, uh, on to the you know whatever comes next about the location i mean it really they he, he really showcases san francisco uh in in this film um and you know we spent some time there yeah it, we i i love the city i mean this is funny it, it's uh it's no bullet but they have they all the have same places <laughs> all the same places and i i still think that the chase scene is um i mean I think they're both really enjoyable San Francisco chase scenes in totally different ways. Like Bullet is just an exhilarating cop chase and it's just so much fun to watch. This is like totally screwball chase. I mean from, you know, like Ben pointed out the uh, the um, Chinese uh, parade that they have going on where they're all playing uh, La Cucaracha on Glockenspiels. <laughs> it's just so strange. But then they end up driving in this Chinese dragon head or this body as it kind of races down the road. And it was it was it was so absurd. It was just so fun. They do a great job of highlighting the city and the hills and um like when they're up at the very top uh construction zone of the hotel, like you are looking out on the city and you're seeing San Francisco in all of its wonderful glory. It's uh 
it's um gosh it's just it's such a great city it i is, just love it it is really cool they do uh let's see some of the the important ones they they end up on uh dashiell hammett street that's where the trash cans chase them and they uh uh chelsea place the shangri-la costume rentals uh is a bar um the hilton hotel <laughs> is a is the Hil- uh, hotel bristol where they're staying and they they end up shooting in and around the pharmacy the pharmacy is now i think a candy store from the looks of it uh but of course the really famous place is the taylor street steps uh van ness uh, uh avenue at sacramento street with the big church uh they've got uh, filbert streets the that's the he- really really long hill that uh, uh that um uh, they end up all the chase comes flying off of the hills. Very famous. Uh, of course, the Lombard Street zigzag um, is uh, also uh, quite famous. Uh, and, and I think, uh, let's see, they, they end up going to the derelict uh, 459 Dorella Street. It's actually Pier 70, which is, uh, um, you know, it's mostly a lot of cars. Um, very famous. Of course, the Balboa and 23rd intersection, that's the same intersection for Bullet and, and many other um, places. That was where the plate glass... Um, mm, right. know, gag was and I that I find so funny so funny so so funny um, that was a great example of setup and payoff because they just set it up and then it just keep they hang it out there I for know. so long and you're like how are they going to pay this off that glass has to smash somehow oh my gosh the choices they made the the last one I wanted to make, make mention of is be, just because of what they do with the cars that the Alta Plaza stairs uh, that those are the really wide stairs and all the cars come careening down uh, these stairs and at one point I swear one of those cars does some serious damage to those stairs. I saw that too, and I'm like, how much did they have to spend to repair the stairs? To repair the stairs. Those are classic stairs. That seems like a real mess so uh anyway i i think it was uh really really fun and and um you know i i was i think when we were there i was still in my mode of, of vacationing to only movie locations like really zealously movie locations which where we went <laughs> to see the star wars uh you know or, or star trek uh voyage home we went down to the aquarium right saw where george and gracie were um, you know, so anyway, this was, we, we did all the, all the locations for bullet and they end up being really very similar. So it was nice to see these, this list. Yes, indeed. Yes, all it right. was. Uh, so we've talked about, uh, Streisand. I, I love this quote about, uh, that Bogdanovich says of Streisand's involvement. He says, yeah, she got it. She just didn't think it was particularly funny. She did it because she liked me and she liked the last picture show and wanted to do a picture with me. I think that's a riot. That is very funny. She got it. She just didn't think it was very funny. <laughs> Which is funny because she is a funny actress. And I, I think that I appreciate her more in in some of her funnier things rather than some of her more serious yeah. things. Yeah, I agree. I agree. So there's so. Streisand. Uh, anything else on Ryan O'Neill? Uh, other than I, I did want to bring up that um, that uh, Bogdanovich did suggest to him that he meet up with Grant, Cary Grant, and just kind of, you know, talk to him about, you know, playing a character like these screwball character sorts of guys. And Cary Grant's advice to Ryan O'Neill was to just all make sure he was wearing silk underwear. <laughs> that was his <laughs> advice to him, <laughs> which is like the most absurd, uh, absurd advice. But I guess that maybe is the point. <laughs> I don't really know. Uh, but, you know, a, a little other nod to Cary Grant that uh, we had in the film was 
the character Barbara Streisand uh, was named Judy. And of course, we uh, talked about on our Only Angels Have Wings episode, the whole idea of Cary Grant going, Judy, 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 <laughs> yes. which uh, was, uh, he never actually really said, although he did kind of say it in that film because the character's name was Judy. But because of that, we do have Ryan O'Neill um, saying something akin to that in this film. Yes. Uh, Madeline Kahn uh, is, I think she's delightful and funny and charming, and no wonder she became uh, a sort of doyen of comedy uh, after this film. Uh, but the the sequence that I love so much is actually, it's almost thanks to her, but mostly thanks to the camera and the choices when she goes to uh, the derelict uh, 459 Dorella <laughs> Street. <laughs> That's exactly the scene I was going to say. It's my favorite. She walks in, and they're they're in the middle of beating up this guy, but they're frozen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> they're like, you're right, they're looking, like, who's coming in? It's like a diorama. It is one of the most beautiful setups, and she plays it perfectly straight, and uh, uh, I just love it. It's a great payoff for her character. Um, so she was wonderful. She is great. I mean, I just really... I just really love Madeline Kahn. She really can do no wrong. Uh, we've talked a bit about Kenneth Mars and Austin Pendleton in the uh, initial dinner scene. You know, going back to the writing, um, you know, Buck Henry and, and uh, the team, the way that they name these characters and play with their names, I think is really smart. Like the bit with, uh, you know, Eunice and Howard and and the whole, you know, you, 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 Eunice, Eunice mm-hmm. Howard. And he's like, how, how, how? It's Howard, this stuttering problem of yours. You know, the way that <laughs> she does that. And then the whole thing at the end with the judge where it's like, with Hugh, Kenneth Mars's character, and he's like, uh, it's like, no, with with you. With with me? No, with you. I am you. You are me? You know, that <laughs> well, whole there bit. Was great who's on first caliber moments <laughs> that actually played really well. It was great. And I think that uh, these characters, these actors do a great job with that. And Kenneth Mars just nailed it with the, the uh, just the absurdly um, pompous, over-the-top uh, type of character that he plays here. Uh, we have a couple of other uh, sort of uh, uh, ancillary characters. Philip Roth is Mr. Jones, Sorrel Brook, Boss Hogg mm-hmm. uh, oh. as Harry. Yes. Right. Fun seeing him. Holy cow. Uh, you know, it, these are great characters. They, uh, you know, you bring up that who's on first bit with the judge, Liam Dunn. That, for me, was one of my favorite sequences in the film. And you know what, Andy? Yeah, I think any other director, editor, team probably would have left that sequence on the cutting room floor. The, you know the sequence I'm talking about? The scene where he's talking about his pills before yes. they all come in? Yes. Yeah. And that, I thought, was really, really good. I found it just a great bit of humor, and I'm really glad they left it in. But I feel like if I would had been forced to make a cut, that would have been, you know, I mean, it's a good three minutes that I that would have been just easy to excise. It's a, it's a tricky one, though, because it is a setup for the insanity about to ensue. You know, you kind of have that moment of peace as he's, you know, trying, he, as you kind of get the setup from him before the payoff of the insanity begins. So I like it, though. He's good. He's good. I just mean, like, there is a sense of uh, inefficiency in the setup. Like, we yes. could get it that he has a headache, he has lots of med- medicine. What I love so much is a joke. He's like, do you know what this pill is for? So that I remember to take that pill. Do you know what that pill is for? I don't remember. 
<laughs> so it's like they really won't they won't even bits. tell me they won't right. even tell me uh <laughs> he was just terrific liam dunn as judge maxwell and the father of um judy oh yes uh we've talked about john hillman we uh george morfigan uh as rudy the head waiter who you may <laughs> remember from v the television series i was never allowed to watch it oh, it was so good Oh, when she tilts her head back and eats a rat. Oh, Andy, that was classic television. Classic. Oh, man. We've talked about Graham Jarvis before as the bailiff. Ah, uh, good old Graham Jarvis. Misery. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. Of course, Crazy Randy. Randy Quaid was Professor Hoskwith. He was fun to see. Very young. I think this was um, because he was down in Texas when... Uh, he was in Last Picture Show, and he had a good part in that, but I don't think he was doing much uh, because he kind of stayed in Texas. I think he was still getting small stuff. And so mm-hmm. I think Bogdanovich was like, hey, come on up to L.A. You know, you can be in my movie. You can get an agent. And that kind of led to stuff. I mean, you know, just the very next year, he was the lead character in Last Detail and everything. So, Yeah, he was good. And, and then, now and now he's, now he, now he's Crazy Randy. <laughs> Uh, M. Emmett Walsh. Oh, dear. Gotta love him. I love him so much. So, M. Emmett Walsh, we have from, uh, uh, he was in, uh, well, of course he was in Blade Runner. Blood, Sim- Blood Simple. Um, Blood Simple, absolutely. He's uh, he's just terrific. And he plays uh, the, uh, the arresting officer. We see him not very much in this film, but man, when he's on screen, all I can think about is, I need Decker. <laughs> Uh, anybody else you want to bring up? I think that's it. Let's talk about the music. How'd you feel about uh, about uh, the music? I mean, there's not a lot, and it's uh, it's interesting because mostly what they wanted to do was take uh, "You're the Top" and a couple of other show tunes type of tunes, and basically create Muzak versions of them to kind of play as background music, which was an interesting way to go. Um, I like the songs. I like that. Um, I, I like. I think Barbara does a great job singing them. I actually really enjoy her her little bit on the piano uh, with Ryan when she's uh, singing uh, uh, the Casablanca song. I think that's a great little moment, despite the fact that it's so strange that she was like sleeping under the piano under the can- the canvas. Right. Yeah, right. Really Very weird. strange. Really weird. Uh, the music or the the film was scored by Artie Butler. Um, who is uh, has a pretty uh, wide range, everything from The Rescuers to Grease 2. Uh, but uh, generally, see, he, he plays like a, a bit of, a, of a, an adept utility player, jumping from TV series, TV series, um, all over the place. Yeah, so. and I mean, I, I think it works fine here. Um, like I said, it's... It, I think the songs are what stand out and the fact that there's some Muzak versions of them kind of playing under it, that it, it does help connect it. It's just not like that emotional draw sort of connection. Yep. But, it's, it, but it still works in context of the film. Uh, how did uh, it, this do in terms of its, um, uh, you know, its, its presence for us? Uh, awards? I don't think it uh, got any awards. Nothing? 
It's not a, I mean, it's a, it's a screwball comedy. I don't think they were going after that sort of thing. But that being said, the film still, uh, I mean, it was nominated for one Golden Globe, I guess, if you want to be uh, to the point. Uh, Madeline Kahn was nominated for Most Promising Newcomer Female. So, and it did win a WGA award for best comedy written for the screen. This was a film that found its mark with the crowds. Oh, yes, this film cost about $4 million to make, which is about a little over $22 million, million in today's dollars. This film ended up making domestically about $66 million, which is about $367.5 million in today's dollars. So wow. this film did really well for itself, making about $3.6 million per adjusted finished minute. That actually puts it in the top 20 on our list. No Pete. kidding. Yeah, this film made bank. It was, uh, yeah, it's number 16 on our on our list. So beating out seven, Sleepless in Seattle, Apollo 13. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they spent too much money. <laughs> they, and they made them too long. And they exactly. made them too long. I had no idea that this film was such a box office success. It's just not one of those movies that's ever been kind of uh, in my um, circle, like something that I've been thinking about. But yeah, I I was really uh, kind of surprised reading about it. It's like, wow, this film really uh, was very, very popular. It, I think, broke the record at Radio City Music Hall when it opened there as the movie that that sold out more than anything else had up until that point and it it made so much money there it's it's crazy well i think we should finally uh we should finally put it out of its misery and uh i think it's time to rank it let's do it head over to flickchart.com slash the next reel and see our list of our very favorite films and you should sign up for an account and you should get ready to do the unthinkable to rank what's up doc filmo a filmo against completely random films and thus you too should build your list of favorite films just like we have you like that uh filmo uh, filmo thing well, don't you you fed me last week i said it <laughs> and then you gave me a compliment and that's all i could think about all week i've just been waiting to work it back in i love it hmm. well first filmo a uh, filmo <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're back to the oh brother block beat what's up doc or oh brother where art thou I can't. I mean, I, 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 I can't. No, I, I'm, I'm oh brother. Yeah, I can't. I can't. I can't unclog the oh brother block. <laughs> but that being said, I really enjoyed this film. Yeah, it was really so, a lot of fun. And yet, yeah, definitely. Yeah. What's up, Doc or Taxi Driver? I would watch What's Up, Doc first. Taxi Driver. <laughs> this is such a such a strange <laughs> pairing. Oh, God. God bless you, Flickchart. <laughs> Flickchart hate crime, Andy. I would go with uh, What's Up, Doc? Yes, you would, son. <laughs> what's Up, Doc? <laughs> or Sophie's Choice? Wow. <laughs> <laughs> what's Up, Doc, uh, please? <laughs> <laughs> this is its own Sophie's Choice please. right here. Sophie would choose What's Up, Doc, <laughs> so- Andy. <laughs> Uh, I'm, I'm doing what's up, Doc. I yes. love this. I love this Streisand. She's <laughs> so funny. Oh man, what's up, Doc? Or a League of Their Own? What's up, Doc? I would do a League of Their Own. How much? I would do a League of Their Own. <laughs> a lot, then. A lot. I totally would. I love that movie. Okay, I'll give it to you. Oh, thank you. That was easy. Yeah. <laughs> 
All right, what's up, Doc, or Siriana? What's up, Doc? I would do Siriana. Like a lot? Oh, yeah. All right, I I'm not it. I'm not really heavily on these. I'm just leaning. It's just Filmo a Filmo. Just Filmo a Filmo, yeah. yeah. Siriana for me. So you're switching? Yeah, I'll, I'll give you Siriana. Okay, what's up, Doc, or Infernal Affairs? Infernal Affairs. I would do Infernal Affairs. No, Andy, I think it should be Infernal Affairs. I'd like to go to the <laughs> mat on this one. What's up, Doc, or the Deer Hunter? What's up, Doc? <laughs> yeah, I. I <laughs> this is turning into yeah. I mean, a lot of these are just. What's it's up, a lot more fun to watch, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. What's up, Doc? For me, uh, what's up, Doc? Or the verdict? Oh, what's up, Doc? Yeah, I'll do what's up, Doc as well. There you go. What's up, Doc? <laughs> One thirty-nine. Jeez, that O brother block. I, it's the O brother block. It yeah. is. Yeah. Too bad O brother. That's such a, a good movie. But you know what? It's it's between Infernal Affairs and The Verdict, and it's yeah. above The Deer Hunter. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's in a really good place. I feel <laughs> I feel totally okay with where What's Up Doc I, is. I am quite pleased that this movie has has performed as well as it has in our conversation, Andy. I have actually grown to like it even more. Uh, then going in, it's just really fun remembering my experience of it, talking through it with you. I am I am loving these little bits more and more. And uh, well, I look forward to hearing uh, how you react to it when you sit down and watch it with your family. Oh, I can't. Uh, yes, kind of, I can't wait. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that's gonna. I think I may put that on this week. I think they're gonna Excellent. enjoy it. I think so. All right. Uh, what's that do for your letterboxed rating? You know, my first viewing is three and a half, and watching it with the family, it bumped up to four. So I'm at four right now. Yeah, I'll give it a solid four. All right. Four it is. And where, pray tell, Andrew, do we go from here? Well, Pete, our next series is going to be uh, jumping back to the films of 1939 again. We're going to talk about uh, five films from that famous year of great films, starting with The Women, and then Stagecoach, The Wizard of Oz, Goodbye Mr. Chips, and The Hound of the Baskervilles. So it's going to be a nice little uh, grouping there. I'm looking forward to that one the very most. Yeah, it's going to be a, a fun set of films to talk about. Uh, and of course, before that, we are actually going to have another shorts. We are. Uh, you know, we've got another behind the sights conversation with, uh, of course, one of our very favorite sites, Matthew Buchanan from Letterboxd.com. Is going to join us for a conversation this week, and uh, it's a great conversation. And you know, he's from New Zealand. It's Gotta like, love it. It's like it, it, it's like talking through the planet. <laughs> That's what we did. We talked through the planet to bring him to this show. I just love. We, this is a great time to be alive, Andy. Here, here, like a little Total Recall elevator through the planet, sort of thing, right? Elevator through the planet. That's the deal. Mm-hmm. There we go. Uh, this has been great, but uh, I, I, I got to go to bed. All right. I am going to go conduct a symphony with the rocks in my front yard in E flat.
screwball is supposed to mean funny. Mm. That's what Red Hawk JG said in uh, in 2008. I had not seen this film since it first came out, and now I know why I'd forgotten all about it. The great and even average screwball comedies have an internal consistency in characters we believe live in their odd little worlds. Unfortunately, What's Up Doc misses on almost all fronts. While a fan of Buck Henry and Peter Bogdanovich, I have a hard time equating the poor pacing and mediocrity of this forced comedy with such artists. If nothing else, there are way too many written gems thrown away due to poor timing, and whether Bogdanovich couldn't get the performances he wanted or he intended to rush comic line deliveries... I don't know. Madeline Kahn is a true jewel in this not-so-madcap piece. Eunice is complete and a joy because of it. Few of the other characters rise to the same level of 100% believable, pure comic characterization. Ryan O'Neill zips through almost all his comic beats, and Barbara Streisand is so busy being funny, she isn't funny at all. O'Neill and Streisand give us performances while Kahn is Eunice. So sad we lost her as early as we did. The supporting cast, including the likes of Kenneth Mars and Austin Pendleton, I expected much more. Good comedy finds its own energy and carries us along while we easily forgive any flaws and give in to the willing suspension of disbelief. From the outset, there are too many story holes, pushed performances, and pacing inconsistencies for even me to suspend that much. Even Red Hawk JG. Wow. Well, I think it's fair to say we disagree. And that maybe Red Hawk JG should have listened to Buck Henry before, maybe. before yes. they started watching this film. Indeed. What are you going to do? Well, Gwen Edwards also gives it one star and says, what did all these other people see in this movie? I have no idea what these other reviewers see in this movie. It is awful. I mean, I love Barbara Streisand, but this is unwatchable. I gave up after about 40 minutes. So there. There. 40 minutes. Didn't even Not see the judge even, part. That's the best that part. Yeah, the chase, the judge, all the that The glass, stuff. the stairs, the, the cars into work, the bay. The cars into the bay. Oh, Andy. You know Madeline Kahn died in 1999? Yeah, I remember. That's It's it's just longer ago. I, maybe it's because we've been watching her recently. I mean, we did Clue and... We haven't talked about Clue. We didn't? No. <laughs> Why does it feel like we have? I don't know. Because we both want to put it on our guilty pleasures list, but we're, we it's find too much we pleasure. Did, we're we neither did of us murder, guilty. We did Murder by Death, and we did talk a, a little bit about Clue in the context of Murder by Death. Maybe a little bit. And that's why it feels like we've talked about Clue. Maybe. Please? Sure. If you give me nothing, give me that. I'll give that to you. <sighs> Thanks, Amazon. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. 
Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Today. 